This podcast is sponsored by Zoll. Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Angel 7 is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed at the Welcome back to another podcast for Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi. And once again, we are very pleased to still have Gavi Friedson with us, who was our team leader, not only in Hurricane Fiona, which we talked about in the last episode, but because he did such a good job there, we also sent him to Florida uh, after Hurricane Ian hit there, uh, which happened about a week and a half later. Um, so, Gavi, thank you for coming back and, and joining us once again. Pleasure to be here. Didn't expect you to be back here so soon, did you, Gavi? When when you asked what's next, I had Ian up my arm. Yeah, we we sort of started hearing about Ian about halfway through the the mission uh, in Puerto Rico, and I think I don't remember if we already put you on on sort of like I guess uh, put it on your on your radar of being aware that hey, next week uh, you might be doing this, and I think you had a day in between to go home and do some R and R. Um, do some laundry, do some laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to go with a new fresh, fresh set of, uh, underwear, underwear, <laughs> maybe some new shirts and stuff. Also, it's helpful. And Puerto Rico was hot and sweaty. Actually not as well. It was pretty bad, but so was Florida. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're kind of, they're kind of not so far away from each other. It was like in, in that movie, Good Morning Vietnam. What's the weather like down there? <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. It's, it's hot. hot. Yeah, the hurricane season in September. Uh, beautiful time in the tropics uh, for for a lot of rain and and wetness and humidity, as you're saying. Uh, so laundry is definitely a good thing. Um, operationally, we did a lot of the same things. I think in in Florida that we did with uh, with Puerto Rico, we reached out to some local uh, resources. Um, whereas I think we were a little less successful in Florida originally. Uh, we got some sort of community meetups, but very quickly uh, once you hit once you got on the ground. Uh, together with a team that came from Israel, once again, different team, um, but same Gavi. And <laughs> once you got on the ground, I think you you really managed to to work the local angles and connect with uh, both the Red Cross and a lot of the first responders, the search and rescue units, and even the Israeli ambassador showed up for a little bit. He did, yeah. Um, Consul General. Consul General, sorry. Consul General. It's uh, First of all, I'm always amazed by the crew that you select, you know? I mean, Puerto Rico, Florida, incredible, really. Just uh, to be able to just have a team of professionals that are willing to, again, sacrifice everything. We were, the week before that was one of the Jewish holidays of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And then during Hurricane Ian, we were dealing with the the, the holiest day, Yom Kippur, a uh, day of autonomy. Uh, judgment day, call it what you want. It's a day where you know everyone is off for 24 hours fasting, and all of a sudden, these these you know, people are just leaving their families, wives, husbands, you name it, are deciding to to just sacrifice everything, get on a plane and be in Go a disaster help zone. others. Yeah, just to help others. And there's really no better way to celebrate the high holidays than by helping others. That's sort of one of the tenets. I you were going to say going out to tropical areas. That too. <laughs> if you can help others in tropical areas. Let me areas. tell you, I saw the ocean there. It is not one you want to snorkel in. It is full of so much debris and and well, muddy and sewer. The ocean all came out. We were to finding you, we were so. finding fish, real like just fish inside of the uh, jeeps of cars. 
Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. I was I was looking at the materials coming in from uh, from Hurricane uh, Ian. The, this was of magnitude that the damages were 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 significant. Tell us a little bit about about getting around that area and and, and even seeing the people who didn't leave. This was just short of a Category 5. And let me tell you, if you are ever at home and you're in a Category 4, Category 5, and they tell you evacuate, don't think twice, get the hell out. Um, it's no joke. The power of the ocean is something remarkable. I got to see it in, you know, in other hurricanes in the past. But at this level, we're talking the ocean comes in and it leaves pretty fast, breathes pretty quickly. would never even know. The next morning the sun is out, birds are chirping, you wouldn't even realize what happened overnight. But this one in particular came up to the third floor, almost 15 feet. Um, and if you were outside, you were in your lobby of the condo building, you were just, you know, the power of the wind combined with the ocean and and um, the storm surge, it's just complete chaos. It is boats that should be on one side or all of a sudden on someone's house. Cars, boats on top of cars, cars on top of boats, um, just the, the pictures, the videos, even when I was taking it and then looking at the footage I have on my phone later that night, unless you're there and see it and stepping on, on you know, the, the soil and feeling how saturated it is from the water, from the ocean and seeing seashells and dead fish in cars and really getting to see the magnitude of the, of the level of this and, and all the agencies that are on, you know, site trying to help. It, it was just something really, really um, I've never seen before. So it was amazing for us to take part of this rescue effort. There was a picture of a shark that was swimming down a street. Yeah, I saw. Did, did you, did I you did see, see the shark? I did not see the shark, but I did see the video. But I believe it. <laughs> Imagine the whole ocean just in your backyard, in your home. My grandparents had that with Hurricane Sandy. Uh, they lived five houses down from the beach. And the same thing, the ocean came right in. And, and you had fish and, th- and everything just all around their neighborhood. Um, it makes sense. Some of it just doesn't go back. <laughs> All right. So th- let's talk about some of the stories of, of the people that you guys met in uh, in Florida. Um, I understand there was, a, there was a family that didn't leave and- They've not they- left their home in over two years. Two years. <laughs> this family did not leave. I mean, Crazy I, have, story. I have my own personal thoughts on that. But like, imagine kids, young kids who have never left, didn't see the day, the sunlight in over two years because their parents were v- extremely um, COVID paranoid or whatever you want to call it, uh, sensitive, very, very, you know, extremely cautious. But to, to not see any uh, fresh air in over two years, I had my, again, I have my own personal thoughts on that. I won't share here. But that was just, you just see, you just met all types of people, right? No, so talk about the success yeah, there. Like, what happened well, with first family? of all, we, we, we succeeded. You got, you got, we them, got out. them out. We got them out. <laughs> we got the kids to actually leave, step out of the front door. Now it's, very true. The entire neighborhood looks like an absolute apocalyptic, you know, a bomb just went off and everything's boats are on top of, uh, you know, cars and they're still terrified of COVID and they're still standing outside, completely masked up by themselves outdoors in the sunshine. And they want to just continue living there. They've stocked up every day. Um, prior to the hurricane, they would order thousands of dollars worth of supplies that they could live there forever of COVID supplies and food and water that they don't need to leave. And our team was able to convince them to explain to them that by staying there, they're risking their family, the bacteria. That's phenomenal. What nobody else from other social services and whatnot weren't able to do. We were. Your team within a, a, a session of what was it, an hour with them, were able to do that. That, that. That's phenomenal, I think. 
And and I think the um, we'll, we'll fill in the blank of the story about how this that came about. You guys were called up by by the fire department to. Well, we met with uh, the head of the fire department, who was leading with the task force, Florida. T- uh, I think it was task force two, uh, urban search and rescue, and there were teams there from everywhere. I mean, from Georgia, Maine, Texas, New York, all over the place. It was all hands on deck. And what was fascinating is when we you know got through the checkpoint, and we get to the command and control tent, and uh, all the agencies were there. It was another. The Hebrew people have arrived, just like in Puerto Rico. There and they see the Israeli flag, and they recognized it from our efforts back in uh, the Surfside building oh, class. Surfside, Surfside. Surfside triggered for them, just uh, just left them. They with saw the red- orange vests yep, coming. The orange vests and the Israeli flag and the United Hatzalah, and it didn't matter. They were like, we want them. They're here. Put them to work. And our reputation from Surfside, I think, and we, you know, we've received honoraries and different things from the governors and leadership of uh, of uh, in Florida uh, for our efforts there. It's amazing to see what kind of reputation our team left on the ground there, because now come another disaster, they're all over us and they want us to stay and put us to work immediately. So they already split up the team. We went with different uh, search rescue teams. Some did search and rescue while they were looking for bodies. We worked with the dogs. Um, two different dogs go off and, and go on the rubble. If one dog smells something, they bring in the second dog. If the, sec- if the second dog smells the exact same scent that the first dog did, then they, that they pin it. And then they start, you know, bring all the machinery and start trying to like work with uh, recovery. They they were the ones who alerted you to this family that hadn't left for a while. Yeah, they said they've all tried, all all, all the different fire department, you know, all the different paramedics, everyone's tried, social workers, nothing's worked. Hey, give it to the Hebrew people, <laughs> give it to the Israelis. <laughs> and so that's what they said, and like, let's give it a shot. So we did. We drove all the way in, and the drive was about 15-minute drive through complete destruction. I mean, you're driving. It looked, from the videos you were sending me, it looked like driving through a scene from the, the apocalypse movie. Yes. yes. Or like it felt it could have been like a Universal Studios uh, disaster site that they're filming a movie on like the end of the world and that's it just like you can't even describe the level of destruction. And you know what one of the uh, the head of the task force team actually when he first invited us there, you know, he said if he invited us to sleep on the beach if we wanted to with the rest of his team and he made a great great comment. He says, "Look at the ocean. You're looking at heaven. Look behind you, you're looking at hell." Wow. And very powerful. It was very powerful because it was so true. The ocean was beautiful. It was back to normal. The color was even turquoise. It was like, it was amazing. The birds are chirping. Things are fine. And then you look behind you and you just see just, I mean, the, first of all, the, the, the civilians, the locals haven't even been back yet. Like we're in the middle of like search, rescue and, and operations. Like they've still, the ones who evacuated are at the shelters. The others were trying to convince and persuade to get them to shelters. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the shelters soon. Yeah. But, but, but let me tell you, these we met all sorts of characters, right? We met one couple that said, as long as they have enough vodka in the fridge, they're not leaving. Listen, that's a valid, <laughs> that's a valid claim, man. It's hard to that's, argue that one. It's bringing me back to Ukraine. <laughs> that is, that is definitely bringing wow. me back to Ukraine also. I mean, you really. Memoirs of Hurricane Ian. <laughs> knocking on doors and the characters we'd meet, like, how did, how did you survive this? Why didn't you leave? And it's just amazing to see the people you meet. There's another uh, story that uh, that uh, Doctor Anna Kaufman was telling me. The person who succeeded in talking down that family, uh, she was telling me there was a story where there was a a, a, a couple um, who their, their whole house was destroyed, and they they didn't evacuate. They ended up staying in in the house. 
the hurricane came in and the water, they, they put towels by the door thinking that was going to stop the hurricane. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and it didn't. The surge was 15 feet high. It didn't really stop. So the water kept coming up and up and up and it, and it flooded their entire house and they escaped through the, a window in the roof um, and the water passed the roof. And it's like, you know, story of Noah situation going on. And they're like, the water, everywhere they went, the water just kept following them. And it got so high that they, he, the, the husband grabbed onto a pole on the side of the building and the water was above his wife. He was holding his wife in one arm and, and holding the pole onto the other arm. And the water was above the wife and got it to his neck. And he was able to hoist his wife above the water long enough for the water, the surge to dissipate somewhat so they could stay there. And they stayed on that ledge for two days. Um, and I think they saved their cats also. They managed to do that. That's pretty and good. It was pretty, it was pretty good, but they stayed there for two days, not knowing where to, where to come down. Eventually they made their way to the shelter and she met them in the shelter and they were telling them the story. And the husband was told not that he was very upset and, and despondent basically because he, he wasn't able to save anything. And Anat looked at him and looked at his wife who was sitting next to him and said, who's that? And he said, that's my wife. He says, so not, you didn't manage to not save anything. You saved the most important thing. And that she said that his, his eyes lit up and he realized that his efforts weren't in vain, that he, he, he the switch in perspective allowed him to uh, basically have, have a new way of looking at his own actions during the hurricane and not feel completely uh, depressed about losing everything because he had actually indeed saved the most important thing in his for life. For sure. And that's what these hurricanes do, especially for our teams and even myself included, like being on site at a disaster zone puts into perspective how much unnecessary crap we have and we own. You look at these floods. All things. It's all things. And what's really important and being able to get there and save a human's life and be able to actually even, and there were many pets that we were able to rescue as well. Um, but to really be there and, and get these people out of uh, harm's way. Uh, and even in the aftermath, they don't understand that the, even if it might look okay, the water is back, the bacteria, the mold. I, I don't know if you saw the video I filmed where you can actually see the yeah. surge lines that was up, over our heads um, and you are walking on the second, third floor of these buildings and the floor, everything's gone. Everything's just like needs to be demolished and, and rebuilt. And that's going to take time. So they think that they could just live there for a month and everything's going to be okay and everything's going to rebuild, but it's not. And, and trying to encourage them to leave um, for their own safety for their and own health, safety. well-being. And it's something which is uh, important to pass on. And, and there's certain techniques which we use to do that. And one of those is by helping people, uh, think a little bit differently about their actions during the events to to allow them to uh, recognize that they weren't helpless. They did something. Uh, they all did something to try and save themselves, save each other, save pets. Um, there was one woman I understand you talked to in the in one of the shelters uh, who was very upset that she wasn't able to do more. Um, and then uh, one of our one of our volunteers, I remember exactly if it was Hadassah Sharon, uh, who went to her and said. You know who's organizing the food for a lot of the people here, and she said, "Oh well, I I took up a kitty with another, uh, you know, young person here, and we're going out and ordering food and bringing food in for all the people in the shelter." And she said, so "You're doing it. You're doing an amazing thing. You're like helping all the people here. What do you mean you're not helping enough?" And again, it's that that whole again the twisting of, of changing perspectives of looking at what you can do and looking at what you what what you succeeded at doing in the time of the disaster can really begin to sow the seeds of of that hope and rebuild people's. Uh, resilience 
during these times of tragedy so that they can then go and have the strength and find the strength to rebuild their lives. What's remarkable is the hope aspect that even though everything's been taken from them, you have actual, I mean, homes that were just moved by the ocean from one side to the other side of the neighborhood. Um, and you're coming back to nothing and just being able to talk to some of them. I spoke to one firefighter who was on shift. I don't know if you saw the footage of the, uh, fire station that was completely oh, flooded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you have, you know, your, your hope is that the first responder will be able to come and help you. And when you see the fire stations completely flooded and the fire trucks are now gone, um, it, it puts into perspective of like, is it too late? And a lot of these firefighters were very stressed out and our team was dealing with them. Remember that families there as well. They have first, families. Right. First responders have families there. Correct. Their community was, was affected directly. So Gavi, talk to us a little bit about um, the shelters. Uh, you, you went to some of these massive shelters with hundreds of people. Talk to us a little bit about what, what we were able to do down there in these shelters. So the Hertz Arena is where they housed or sheltered um, almost the evacuees from Fort Myers. Uh, again, almost 90% of that whole area was just completely devastated and washed out and, and you had to find most evacuated. But from the ones who didn't or didn't have where to go, we put them in, they put the Red Cross comes in and and uh, started this shelter. Um, and it was pretty full. I mean, thousands of people uh, all the way up into the bleachers. They move everything inside. I think the president uh, signed a bill that the Red Cross has the ability to take over any site they need to in terms of when it comes to a natural disaster or any sort of disaster in terms of actually uh, being able to house them as long as they need to until they have somewhere else to go. So this could be the shelter for the next couple of months if, if need be. Um, and we were on site and I introduced myself to um, a lady named Nancy. She was in charge of that whole entire Hertz Arena from the Red Cross. She remembered us as well from Surfside. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Again, the Surfside connection. Um, and our team went person to person. Kids, uh, elderly, women, children, uh, first responders, and they went from bed to bed, whether it was even to the own Red Cross volunteers, we ended up leaving a lot of our own food with them because the Red Cross volunteers were saying, you know, we've been giving out all this food. We don't even have food wow. or they haven't been taking care of us. So we gave a truck full of stuff that we had left uh, before we left on our last day and, and donated it to them as well. Um, but the partnerships in the field of meeting people from all walks of life. Um, and again, the the being able to be there from Israel, from United at Sela, uh, in our orange vests, Working in the United States of America, it's so surreal. I mean, it's really just, everyone wants, what do you need to be there for? It's not Haiti. It's not, you know, some third world country, but there's such a need. Um, and, and we do so much good that I, I think it's even... really that unique aspect, Rafael. We keep going back to that and Gavi about, about the psychotrauma unit, how unique it is, what, what the service it provides is something so different that doesn't exist simply doesn't exist in other places. I mean, we're trying to get the word out there and do some training and, and things like that, but it's so vital and so necessary in these situations. I mean, every 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 mission like this, I'm like, it, it, it hits me like, wow, we're able to make an impact in, in, in a country that's really set up and prepared for disasters, and yet we're able to make to make a difference. Yeah, nobody's thought about it. And all of a sudden, it's not just that we've thought about it, we've, we've put it to work. We've put it, we've tested it. We've, this is years in the works now with just success rates that are just unbelievable and amazing to where we're going to be moving forward. That's true. And another aspect is, and I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the United States is, is pretty well set up for these things, but no one's really ever completely set up for these things. I mean, 
even the United States, where we're mentioning the people, they had first responders coming in from all over. Uh, I even saw there was there was a caravan of, of ambulances that, that came down to Florida from yeah, that, different that states FEMA's, all over the place. Yeah, that was organized in setting up this assistance, this uh, cross-state cross assistance. But So, so they, they have a plan. There is an emergency plan there. There is there is the manpower. There is what's needed. I, I'm talking about. I mean, we we couldn't really be useful with EMS. Okay, right? Because we're coming in, in later. 2017, during that hurricane in the Keys, we were extremely useful when it came to search and rescue. We went door to door before FEMA was there because they were all tied up with uh, the hurricane before Harvey in uh, in Texas. Uh, in, in Texas. Texas, and we were the. I, helicopters were landing outside the public supermarket and the only ones there to deliver the food and water was our team. And there was one cop speaking of families who live in these hit zones who lived, he made his family leave and he lived in his police car and we took over for him giving out the food and the water so he could just eat something. Um, it was amazing to see, again, each disaster is obviously different. Um, but there was nobody there except us back in that hurricane. It was nice to see today there was more, uh, of a response team for sure, but there was still plenty to do. Absolutely. And there always is because when, when a disaster strikes, the, the, the magnitude is, uh, it's immense. And, you know, even with the shelters, even with, uh, you know, FEMA's plan and everything we've seen that there's, there's elements such as the psychological first aid, uh, such as getting to areas which might not be reached by, by the teams as quickly and providing aid there. Uh, there's, there's enough to go around. There's definitely enough sure. to go around, enough work to go around, and there's enough people who need it uh, to warrant uh, our missions coming in. And we do get asked often, it's like, why are you sending teams? And the answer is because there's a need. But I also understand the whole, like, there's too many, you know, cooks in the kitchen, and, and if we don't need to send, but but it, does, but it doesn't apply here because we're bringing a need that they don't we're, have. We're not, we're not one of the cooks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. No, we're bringing a completely we're, different specialty. We're the major D. No. <laughs> but we're, like, bringing, like, we're better than a sous chef. We're bringing sure. a specialty that they don't have, an ingredient they don't have, right? Oh, oh so, a good ingredient. So it's something well said. very unique. Chutzpah. That, uh, <laughs> chutzpah. That was last um, episode. <laughs> but that's why I think, again, our reputation from Surfside and what it was like being greeted there on the ground in a command and control tent by the leaders from every agency. I mean, every agency was there. From ATF to FBI to to every first responder, law enforcement, sheriff's office, we worked with everybody, um, and they were thrilled that we were there. Well, that's what we do. We really work with everybody. It's not. Uh, I, I have a I, I have this sign on my desk um, with a famous quote of a, a former American uh, president that says, "There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit." And and I think uh, we keep our eye on the mission, and and that that's really the 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 spice of our success, maybe. Now the other interesting thing that you had on your mission was you keep going back to Surfside. There were actually two members of the mission here in in, uh, in Florida for Hurricane Ian who were actually as part of our team in Surfside. Um, one of them got recognized directly. Directly, yes. Um, they came and gave a big hug. I mean, first <laughs> we didn't know if they were going to let us in, if they wanted us, what the deal is. And immediately they saw her and they remembered her. Um, they and that, literally threw out the red carpet. Um, yeah, they threw, <laughs> They invited us to sleep with them and eat with them on the beach. Like, I mean, that's where it was really just, uh, it was amazing to see the warmth um, and, and love that they had and respect for our unit, for our team, for our country. Um, and the partnership that both countries have in, in working together to save lives. Um, it, it was really just fascinating to see that on the ground come to fruition. 
Again, because like back before this all happened, you're over here 6,000 miles away. You just had Puerto Rico. Now you have to deal with sending a whole new team. you got the highest of the Jewish holidays coming up. How are you going to get this all happening? What's going on? There's no power. The entire west side of Florida, was there was nothing. There was literally, the streets were out, the devastation, the destruction. I recall when you guys landed, you had trucks waiting for you, vans with <laughs> with generators, gasoline, and all the supplies ready, waiting for you at Miami International Girl, Airport all, already. All coordinated from here 6,000 miles away. Because that's, you're a pro. You're a pro. This is what Dovey does, by this the way. This is your first rodeo. Dovey is our chief of operations. <laughs> In addition to being an incredible paramedic uh, and having led a lot of these missions himself, uh, he's your chief of operations for the entire organization, and, and this is exactly what he does. He and, makes sure things are where they need to be. Even when they if they're 6,000 miles away. <laughs> even if they're 6,000 miles away. Or in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. Can we, okay, okay can we, we have a few minutes left. I want to touch about something that's a little bit less related to Ian, but happened at the same time. Okay. Uh, and this is going back to a rescue mission that took place in 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 the eastern side of Ukraine, uh, in Donetsk, um, which was going at the same time that yeah. you guys were. I don't know if you were aware of this. I, they, aware, they, no. they were not aware. <laughs> that, that we're we're fighting very... wars on so many fronts. Um, in in a hurricane. In, I was in fishing Florida, on the beach in Florida, <laughs> uh, doing rescue missions in East Ukraine from Donetsk, and 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 running regular operations here of two thousand emergencies a day, um, in Israel. <laughs> Let's touch on 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 the Donetsk operation for a little bit because that was a pretty big operation uh, when we think about it. Um, we sent there was we got a we got a phone call on Saturday night. Donetsk had been liberated Saturday um, while you guys were in Florida, and actually I got a WhatsApp message. You got a WhatsApp message. I got a WhatsApp <laughs> message saying I need to get my grandmother out of Donetsk. Um, she's injured there. And and we have to get her out to West Ukraine to the hospital um, for surgery and whatnot. And this basically became a possibility because Donetsk had just been liberated that day. Now, the grandmother was uh, had been injured when her house was shelled uh, and was unable to receive medical care in, she was in the, the city of Lehman, uh, Lyman, I don't know if I pronounced it properly. Uh, and, and she was unable to receive medical care because there were just simply no hospitals open um, because of the changing hands of occupation. Uh, and when Ukraine had liberated the city, um, there, there was a small avenue and we weren't sure how long they were going to hold the city at the time. Uh, so there was a small window of opportunity to get this woman out. This woman was a Holocaust survivor. She's 86 years old. And, uh, we sent a team from Kiev, I think it was. No, we sent a team from Uman. From Uman. Actually, wow. It's even further Uman, away. From Uman um, to, to pick her up. It was an area, literally, you could still see the shelling in the area there. They they were they were fired upon. They were fired upon. Wait. Managed to get her out. Drive 700 kilometers. That's about 400 miles, 450 miles um, west and get her out to the hospital and surgery there. It was un unbelievable. The entire trip back and forth was over 2,500 kilometers. And because uh, when when we got there, we said, okay, we're, we're here, we're in Lyman, we're picking you up. Where do you want to go? She says, I would like to go to Uzgorod, which is the furthest west city in Ukraine. Right on the border of Slovakia. It's right. And for those of you who didn't know, Ukraine does have a border of Slovakia. Uh, <laughs> and well, we had our logistical center there we for do. months. And the team from Wuhan was sitting there going, okay, wait, we just came from pretty far west in Ukraine. We've come in 700 kilometers. Now you want us to go 1,800 kilometers back the other way um, to drop you off the city. Why, why do you want to go there? And she said, well, I have family there who can take care of me even after I get medical care. So it was a worthy, worthy endeavor. So we did it. So we did it. And they drove her. They took one ambulance. They took two drivers. They spent three days 
And on Tuesday, on on the eve of the holiest day, the the Erev, what we call Erev Yom Kippur, the eve of Yom Kippur, uh, she was dropped off in Uzgorod. And this is a woman who's now fled two wars in her lifetime. Uh, and now she's receiving the medical care that she needs and in the comfort with her family. And this is uh, a, a minute-to-minute rescue that uh, that took place. Uh, again, thanks to help with Dovi and, and the international your, your operations, operations here from, from the command center here in Israel to actually seeing boots on the ground around the world is, is just unbelievable. Um, really. So again, pat on the back to, to both of you for, for creating this and for making it come to fruition. And I really do believe there'll be a lot of movies about Ukraine war, especially moving forward in life, but they need to focus on something with United Sela. I mean, the stories and the rescues and especially the babies that are under enemy fire and going in and getting them out. And I mean, really, it's, it's just so unique. And the, I don't even think people can all really we gotta, understand. All we got to do is just go back to our previous podcasts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Operation Orange Wings. Saved? How many lives have been saved thanks to all your efforts here? Oh, it, my God. We, we aren't sure it's, of that it's, number. It's humbling. It, it is. It really, it really is humbling. But I look forward to working with you on the ground the next one. And um, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I know after, after the previous podcast... I'm not going to ask what I asked uh, then, uh, but but Gavi, <laughs> try to spend some uh, time at home. May have a, a boring rest of your month. Yeah, <laughs> we we never wish there to be one, obviously, but we always are are well prepared and uh, ready to respond. Superhero Gavi, take after the Ghostbusters. A man. <laughs> million man for being here with us. Pleasure to be here. Safe travels uh, back home and and try to get some uh, rest back there. Absolutely. Will do. See you soon. And thank you so to all of you for listening to another episode and we'll uh we'll see you next time.